0: Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, Growing in Faith and Friendship. The Bible reading is from Galatians chapter 4 and verses 12 to 20. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you'd have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now, and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So we're continuing our series through the book of Galatians entitled Freedom in Jesus. And today we're looking at Galatians chapter 4 and verses 12 to 20 where Paul, in a very personal way, opens up his heart and shares his heart with us. You see, up until this point in the letter, we've met Paul the theologian. Paul the academic, Paul the defender of the faith. But now we meet Paul the pastor, who, who has a very deep, he cares for, for, for the Galatians deeply. And he opens up his heart and he shares his heart with them. And so within this passage, we learn what it means to be a good pastor. We learn what it means, what, what, what a pastor's heart should look like what are good and bad motives for ministry, and how we should effectively pastor others. And so you're probably thinking, great, I don't have to listen to this one because uh, I'm not a pastor, so it's got nothing to do with me, so uh, Mike, I hope you're listening to yourself. Well, not so fast, <laughs> because on one level, we all call to be pastors and ministers. We all call to minister and to help each other. And so within this passage, we also learn how to be effective agents of change in other people's life for the kingdom of God. You see, if there's ever been anyone whom you, you, you care about and you, you ache for, when you see that person going through a hard time or a trial or they drifting away from Jesus, you desperately want to help them change. If you have any emotional or spiritual maturity, there will be people whom you want to be an agent of change for. And so this passage applies to anyone who wants to be an agent of change in other people's lives for the kingdom of God. This applies to anyone who wants to powerfully impact other people's lives with the good news of Jesus. And so, firstly, how should we minister? If we're going to be effective pastors, effective agents of change, what should our method be? How should we minister? And over here, Paul gives us incredible insight into how we can have a very positive influence and effect upon people to help them change. And if we do uh, what he suggests, we will be able to have a profound influence upon people's lives for the kingdom of God. And we read in verse 12. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. Become like me, because I became like you. So, there are two clauses, there are two parts to that sentence. And if we can do both, we will be able to powerfully influence people and helping them to change for for, for the better and for the kingdom of God. So, we're going to look at the second part of that sentence first. I became like you. When Paul went to Galatia and he he arrived to the Galatians, he didn't say, become like me. He first became like them. Okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, Paul was a Jew and the Galatians were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. And Jews would never associate with non-Jews. Jews Jews would never eat with non-Jews. Jews Jews would only eat kosher food, Jewish food. And so they would never eat and associate with non-Jews. Rather, they would keep their distance. They would look down their noses at the non-Jews. And the only time a Jew would ever associate and eat with non-Jews was when they first became like them. The non-Jew first had to become like a Jew before they would associate. Paul had a completely different method to ministry. Paul didn't keep his distance and look down on them and say, become like me, come on. I'm waiting. No. No, he first became like them. He became like a non-Jew. He ate non-Jewish kosher, non-Jewish food that wasn't kosher (laughs) with them. He identified with them. And if we want to influence people and have an impact upon people for the kingdom of God, we're going to have to identify them. With them, We're going to have to get into their heads. We're going to have to get into their questions. We're going to have to feel the, what they feel. Uh, we're going to have to understand their, their issues, their difficulties, their problems, what, what is causing them a stress. We're going to have to have a genuine and an authentic empathy with the people we want to help. But then Paul says, become like me. And what Paul's effectively saying is, I'm not going to let you stay where you are. I'm urging you to change. I'm calling you to change. I want you to become the best you that you can possibly be. See, now some of us are are very good at identifying with people and not judging them, but affirming them and comforting them and, and having empathy with them, and that's great. But often we don't like to press. We don't like to push. We don't like to challenge. But unless we're challenging, there won't be any change. See, so we can be really good at identifying with a person and affirming them and loving them. But if you don't challenge them, you're just going to be with them, struggling alongside them together. But there won't be any inspiration to change and to grow. And so we need to avoid the two extremes. On the one extreme, you say, "Become like me," but you don't become like them. You, you go, then you say, "Become like me." Come on, come on, I'm waiting. Come on. But, but you, you have no, you don't adapt. You have no real understanding for their position. You, you're very rigid. You're very demanding, and you're condemning. And there's, there's no real love. The other extreme says. Or becomes like you, but they don't say become like me. They they say, well, well, who am I? You know, I? I'm just a fellow sinner. I'm no better than you. My life is just as much as a mess as you. And who is to say what's right? And they just identify and they love and they comfort and they. they we just in this together. We just struggle together. We slog along together. But there's no change. And of course, both of those extremes are bad. Both of those extremes are bad for your soul. What we need is a minister who can say, become like me, for I became like you. Now, when Paul says, become like me, as a pastor, I find that really challenging. You see, I, I, I prefer to say something like, you know, do as I teach not as I do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But be, be, become like Jesus. Don't look at me, become like Jesus. I mean, that's quite challenging to say that. Paul is effectively saying, I've come to embody the life I want you to love. Wow, I mean that, that's quite challenging. But also, isn't that just arrogant or delusional? Well, if you truly understand, it's only if you truly understand the gospel that you'll be able to say that. It's only if you truly understand the gospel uh, that you'll be able to, to say that without being arrogant or delusional. Uh, let me explain. The gospel is simply this that we're all sinners saved by grace. We all make mistakes, we all get it wrong, we all have regrets but we've been forgiven and accepted by God not because we're good, but because He's good. Because because Jesus died for us, we can be forgiven and we can have freedom and life, and all we have to do to receive that is put our faith in Jesus. Okay, Now, if you don't understand that, if you believe that you say saved because of your own good works, then, when you're living up to your standard, you'll become arrogant and bold, and you'll say, become like me. But you won't be humble, you won't be understanding, you won't be loving. However, when you don't live up to your standards and you fall in and you're failing, you will be so humble. You'll you be so understanding. You'll be able to identify with them, but you, you'll just be in there slogging with them and, oh, we, we, we just, uh, we're a failure. We just, we just struggle here. We just slog along together. There won't be any inspiration for change. However, if you truly understand the gospel you'll be able to say, become like me, without being arrogant or delusional. Because you will understand, you'll be able to identify with other people because you are a fellow sinner. While at the same time, you can still have the confidence and the boldness to say, become like me, because the life and the forgiveness and the freedom you experience isn't based on how good you are, but it's based on how good God is. See, it's only when we truly understand the gospel that we'll be able to say, become like me, for I became like you without being arrogant or delusional. In verses 12 through to 16, Paul makes a contrast, a contrast between the, the Galatians' relationship and attitude towards Paul, their, their previous attitude towards Paul, It makes a contrast with that between their current attitude towards Paul. And we read in verse 12 and following, You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God or if I were Christ Jesus himself. And so it was because of an illness that Paul first went to the Galatians and preached the good news to them. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about what this illness could be. Some have suggested it was malaria, which could well have been the case. Others have suggested it was a physical uh, beating and abuse that Paul took. Uh, We read in Acts chapter 14 and verse 9 that they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Uh, And that happened while he was in Galatia. So he had experienced a lot of physical beatings. Uh, Others suggest it had something to do with his eyesight. Uh, Later on in verse 15, he says, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. So it might have been something to do with his eyesight. Uh, But again, that could have just been a figure of speech saying that they were prepared to do anything for Paul. So we, we don't know what the illness was, but what we do know is that his illness was a trial to them. There was something about his illness that was a real trial to them. Uh, it might have been that, that they were just repulsed by, by the, the illness. It might have been he had some really uh, hideous physical symptoms that was, re- that was uh, revolting. Uh, or, or it could have been there was just such an extra burden to care for him. Uh, so they had plenty of reason to reject Paul or despise Paul. But they did the complete opposite. Rather than rejecting or despising him, they welcomed him. With open arms. More than that, they welcomed him as if he was an angel or if he was Jesus himself. And the reason they welcomed him like that was because he had brought the good news about Jesus to them. You see, it's right to respect or even honor those who minister to us. And so there was this real mutual respect between Paul and the Galatians. But then all of a sudden, everything changed. We read in verse 15. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? So all of a sudden, their attitude has changed. They're no longer welcoming Paul, but they consider Paul to be their enemy. Why? Because he told them the truth. And the truth, of course, is referring to the truth of the gospel. You remember how Paul came and told the Galatians the gospel that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus and that there's absolutely nothing you need to do to earn that? Uh, you just have to put your faith in Jesus. But then the, the Gala- uh, sorry, there were these troublemakers, these, these uh, Jewish followers of Jesus from Jerusalem, who had come to the Galatians, and they were telling the Galatians that faith in Jesus wasn't enough. In in order to be truly accepted by God, uh, you needed faith in Jesus, plus you needed to obey all the laws of Moses. That's the, the Ten Commandments and so on, all the commandments in the Bible. And the Galatians believed them. And they told the Galatians to alienate themselves from Paul because Paul had some bad teaching. And so they no longer welcomed Paul, but they considered Paul to be his enemy. Now, Paul is is a very flexible and adaptable person. Uh, he, he, He always identifies with people. He becomes like them. We've already heard how he said, I became like you. And so when he went there, he was quite happy to eat non-kosher food, to eat non-Jewish food with the Gentiles, with the Galatians. Even though the law of Moses forbids eating non-kosher food. He was flexible and adaptable, except when it comes to the gospel except when it comes to the gospel. You see, it was so easy for him to have just said, oh, okay, so you want to put your faith in Jesus, plus you want to put your faith in your own good works. Oh, that's okay. But you see, if he did that, if he did that, he would have compromised the gospel. It would no longer be the gospel, because soon as you put your faith in your own good works, it becomes all about how good you are, rather than how good God is. And so that would have compromised the gospel. And so Paul is very flexible about everything and anything except for the gospel, even though it makes him unpopular. It made him very unpopular with the troublemakers. It even made him unpopular with the Galatians. But he wasn't prepared to compromise the gospel. And there are a couple of things we learn here for for ourselves. If we want to be an effective agent of change, we need a major on the majors, the gospel. The most important thing is to keep the most important thing, the most important thing. So often we focus on the minors, on the details, on the small doctrines. We need to agree to disagree on all secondary issues. And we need to focus on the gospel. And the gospel is God loves you. He loves you so much he died for you. And that there's absolutely nothing you need to do. You just have to receive that free gift of salvation through putting your faith in Jesus. And so secondly, we need to be flexible on everything except the truth of the gospel, even if that makes you unpopular. And if we do that, we will be far more effective as agents of change in people's lives. What should our motivation be? In verses 17 to 20, Paul makes a contrast between the troublemaker's motivation for ministry and his motivation for ministry. And so we read in verse 17, those people, that's referring to the troublemakers, those people are jealous to win you over, but for no good. They don't have good motives. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. So these troublemakers were very eager to win the Galatians over. And it looked as though they really loved the Galatians, but they, had, they didn't have pure motives. Their real motive was they wanted to alienate the Galatians from Paul and from Paul's gospel and ultimately from Jesus. And secondly, what they really wanted to do was to make the Galatians zealous for them. You see, they didn't want them to have fellowship with Paul because they wanted the Galatians to be devoted to them and to love them only. And so while they looked like they were really devoted to the Galatians, their real motive, their real goal was to have the Galatians devoted to them. They wanted to have a big following. They wanted to be popular, be famous preachers and teachers with large congregations. That was their motivation. What's your motivation for ministry? Is it to be popular? Is it to have people devoted to you? Well, Paul has a very different motivation. We read in verse 19, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, birth until Christ is formed in you. Paul's motivation was to see Christ to see Jesus formed in them. and he refers to them as his dear children and he likens himself to a mother who is experienced the, the pains of childbirth again. What odd language for a guy? <laughs> I mean, us guys, we don't really know what it's like to experience the pains of childbirth. I mean, I kind of know. I, I'm very closely related to a woman who's given birth to two girls. Uh, so I kind of know. But I definitely do know what it's like to have your hand squeezed uh, by, uh, by a woman who's giving birth. And, and that was pretty painful. So, but what is Paul meaning over here? When he's, when he, see, he's likening himself to this, this mother who is experiencing the pain of childbirth. You see, what I've noticed is that when you have children, there goes your heart. You lose your heart. You can never be happy again unless your children are happy. You can never be happy again unless you see your children growing and maturing well. You've lost your heart. And so it is if you become a pastor. You become like a mother who's lost her heart to her children. And, and, and you simply can't be happy unless your, your children are growing and maturing. If your children are hurting, if your children are struggling, if your children are turning their backs on Jesus, it kills you. You feel pain inside. It, it breaks your heart. And I want you to know that if you guys are struggling, if you guys are hurting, if you guys are, are drifting away from Jesus, it breaks my heart. I, I feel pain. And if you're going to be an effective agent of change, you will lose your heart. And Paul says that he is once again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in them. he's, He's in pain until he can see Jesus being formed in their life. That's his motivation. That's his goal. That's what he's striving for, to see Jesus formed in their life, that they would become mature in their faith, that they would become everything that God created them to be and called them to be. This is very different to the motivation of the troublemakers. The the troublemakers' uh, motivation wasn't so much to see Jesus formed in, in, in them as it was to see themselves formed through them. You see sometimes we minister to other people not so much to see Jesus formed in their life but to see our own formation not so much to help them as it is to help ourselves some of us are needy helpers we need people to need us we need people to 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 want our help because that's we just need their confirmation uh, we we need them to depend on us and to 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 need our help. We we need people to think we're wonderful and that everything we say is wonderful and to never criticize us. And so our real motivation isn't so much to see Jesus formed in their life as it is to see our own formation, as it is to to find significance and validation and self-worth. And as long as your motivation, your true motivation is to see your own formation rather than the formation of Jesus in the person's life, you will never be an effective agent of change in other people's life. A test to see if your, 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 your true motivation is to see Jesus formed in their life or if your true motivation is to see your own formation through ministering to them. When you're ministering to someone and you're helping someone, do you become jealous if they start getting help from someone else? Or do you just rejoice that they're getting more Christian input and they're becoming more and more like Jesus? Another test is, what's your your ultimate goal? Is it for them to always be dependent upon you? Or is your goal for them to to become fully mature and to no longer need your help anymore? So to be an effective agent of change, we need to be able to say, become like me, for I became like you. And we need to be flexible except when it comes to the gospel, even if that makes us unpopular. And thirdly, we need the heart of a mother who is experiencing labor pains again for her children until you see Jesus formed in them. But for all the pain of childbirth, there's nothing like the joy of parenthood. Of seeing people's lives changed and transformed, seeing Jesus being formed in their life, seeing that person becoming everything that God called them to be and created them to be. And so we need ministers like that. And we need to be ministers like that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you that you've called us all to be ministers, to be pastors, to be agents of change in each other's life. And Father, we, we, we long to be that, that person, that, that effective pastor who can partner with you to bring change in other people's lives. Help us to learn from Paul, to learn to, to say, become like me as I became like you, to have the gospel central. To not get caught up in lots of other details, but just to keep the main thing, the main thing. But more than that, we pray that we would have the heart of a pastor. That we would have that heart of a mother who is again in the pains of childbirth because she's longing to see her child grow and form into everything uh, that you've called them to be. Father, let our main goal be to see Jesus being formed in other people's lives. And Father, we confess there are times when we don't have pure motives. Won't you forgive us? Sometimes through our ministry and through helping, we also try to help ourselves. Father, won't you forgive us and help us to pure, help pure our motives that we would be more effective ministers and pastors and agents of change for the kingdom of God. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.